Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is, what month is this now? February? Yep. February 2013. Uh, and we welcome, this is Behind the DM Screen. I don't know if I said that. So it is. Good. And now you know. And Behind the DM Screen is a podcast of three DMs getting together once a month to talk about their games and help each other make them better. And that's all the intro you need. Randall. Yes. Let's talk about your game. All right. Let's do it. I actually got to play last month. So yay. Yeah. And um, this time the players are off to uh, Crater Island, which is one of the islands that make up the uh, Riven uh, group of islands. And the Crater Crater Island is where Gin's lab is located at. And um, but before they could get to the lab, they had to uh, figure out a way to, which was up on the cliff face. So it's, it's like this island, but the biggest part of the island is like a big giant crater filled with the lake. And um, there's a little strip of land around the lake, but for the most part, it's a crater lake. And, but his uh, lab sets up on the cliff face. So they had to figure out a way to get up there. And one of the ways to do that was through an empty, huge boiler type device that's on the island. And if they manage to shut off the boiler and open it up, then they can crawl through an access tube that will take them up the cliff face and get them to the to the cliff. So they're looking for the control, and then there's several pipes that run out from the center of the lake, and there's like one gangplank that leads out to the center of the lake. And it's not a really deep lake, but it's um, – or a big lake, but it's pretty deep. And they, of course, headed out that way and were immediately attacked by a huge tentacle monster. I love I love tentacle creatures because you can treat them even though they're one creature you can treat them as like several different foes and since they have a pretty powerful attack I mean they're getting up there in levels so the monsters are are, are pretty dangerous or can be start to get dangerous and um, and of course it's the idea for me is I'm trying to grab them off the off the pier and throw them into the water and only w- one player managed to get tossed into the water. And it was – he actually did something that I didn't expect because remember, they don't have all of their regular gear. It was stolen by a group called the Black Moity, and so they are still hunting for their gear. <laughs> and so the only thing the uh, uh, barbarian – barbarian? No, he's just a warrior. That's right. I couldn't remember. Um, had ar- He's armed with a dagger. And so he decides to swim down and attack the main body of the creature itself, which I thought was a pretty good tactic. And they, but by the time that happened, they I don't know about, they, I don't know about good, but it's certainly uh, an exciting tactic. Yes, it was a very <laughs> exciting tactic. Yeah. Um. And but it would it was already almost dead by the time he had the opportunity to do that. So, um. But they killed the tentacle creature, and um. Once again, the ranger proved the most effective by standing on the shore and shooting the tentacles with, you know, from the shore. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's a ranger, so he's like doing, you know, a five, boatloads of damage. This is still damage. all 4E, right? Yeah, yeah, still 4E. Gotcha. Yeah. And so. Old, old school ranger? I don't. Like re- PHP 1 ranger? I think so, yes. Yeah. Tw- not, twin strike? Not, esen- not essentials, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, twin strike. Yeah. So broken, yep. <laughs> but um, but anyway, they had fun with that part. And um, the nice thing about the tentacles is the fact that you, I start off with only like six. I know the thing has twelve. They don't know the thing has twelve. Hmm. They know it has six. And but as they kill one, 
another one springs up <laughs> and they keep thinking, okay, is this ever going to end? And finally it does. But so zooming along, they, um, they get up on the cliff face. And of course, um, Gen's lab is protected by a bunch of cultists. Gen's not there. He's somewhere else, but it's protected by a bunch of cultists and they're on a narrow, they're on a narrow, um, a gangway along the cliff. And then the lab sort of sets, you know, off to one side and there's only one entrance and it's, and the whole, the pathway is only five feet wide. Right. And it's got a rail, pardon me, but it's not, um, a wall. So the first tactic that they start using is to, um, bull rush. <laughs> Cause it's like a hundred foot cliff face. Right. And, and that's successful on a couple of them. Um, they get bull rushed in back and, um, and one of the cultists falls and it immediately goes flat because the lake does not go right up to the cliff face, mm-hmm. at least at that part. Well, where the lab sits, there's a waterfall that comes out underneath it and goes into the lake, right? Um, so as they're trying to get closer to the lab, three of the cultists have a power that allow them to – it's basically a force attack that allows for a push. And so they're at the entrance to the lab, these three cultists that are using this push attack. <laughs> and more than one of my players gets pushed off. Yeah. But that part's over the water. So they're taking less damage. You know, that's not killing them. But the leader of the cultists um, gets pushed off in the attack as well because there's no discrimination in the attack. It's just a blast. And so it's going to be. And so. The um, my once again my fighter, and uh, and the main cultists basically dive together across over the cliff, very much like uh, you know uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And and land, and of course, you know they're fighting, but the fighter just has too much ability to. It's too easy to kill the the leader. He's he's a squishy. He doesn't have you know. Right. He can, he's already done. He's had more damage done to him. So, um, but that was a lot of fun. I think everyone really enjoyed that part of the action. Yeah, pretty um, dynamic. It, yeah, even my wife's character got pushed off at one point, and um, uh, it, that was a lot of fun. There's a there's a lot to be said for that kind of that kind of action, and it was just dangerous enough to where they, you know, did I make my saving throw to get pushed off? I go no. <laughs> You know, so, you know, they were rolling saves to try to make sure to see if they could get pushed off or not, because I think that's the rule. Mm-hmm. If a if a forced movement um, will make you fall, uh, then you get a saving throw to prevent that. Right. Um, so but uh, uh, that was a lot of fun and that was a really good combat. And as a result, they got into when they finally um, got into Gen's lab, they found the last of the. um what I called them, I call them coconut balls, but they're like these wooden car. They look like coconuts, but they're like these wooden balls that have a, they make a sound when you move them and it's an animal sound. And there's also a number etched on the ball and it's a Dunny number, but they've kind of figured out at least the basics of the Dunny number system by visiting a school earlier in the campaign. And so they have um, some knowledge of what the numbers mean. And they, they're pretty sure that these are, the key, these five balls, are the key to being able to get 
to the moiety layer and be able to find their gear finally. Hmm. Now, what they're not sure of is are the are are the moiety the good guys or not, or how they're going to treat them because um, the village elders have told them that you know the moiety are kind of you know taking villagers in the night and and taking them to a home to a safe place actually to get them off of Riven, mm-hmm. um, and so they're. They're, but but they have their gear. They stole their gear at the beginning of this, you know. So it's the players are kind of well, we're not so sure about these guys yet, but we got to find our gear. So that's really what's motivating them right now. They know that I gave them a recap and um, kind of because of the nature, the puzzling nature of Riven and stuff like that. I decided to clear some things up to make it a little more plain, to give them a little more more goal direction than just kind of wandering around blindly. Um, which did not work out, and everyone remembers that session that we talked about that was like really horrible. Mm-hmm. But um, but uh, now they have a little more direction, and right now they're really guided. They don't really care about Gin. He hasn't shown up yet anyway, and right now they really want their gear. <laughs> <laughs> so they're really motivated to get their gear back. And um, and so by finding these animal spheres, finally, it's what I call them, they, um, they'll find the key to, uh, to open up the, the portal that takes them to that other location. And some other things will happen at that point. Um, uh, they'll move the plot along. Mm. So, but it was a good session. Um, like I said, it was only two combats, but it was they were pretty dynamic, and um, and they found a lot of other gear, or a lot of other stuff in um, Gin's lair. They found what's called a Heek, H E E K, which is actually like an air-powered gun, kind hmm. of, and it fires these poisonous pellets. Um, and they found some of the ammunition for it. Um, so I'm treating it like a magic item. It is not magical, but it is a unique enough item that um, it doesn't really fit. It's a ranged weapon, and you make a ranged basic attack with it. But, um, you know, there's no weapon proficiency involved because it's not anything that they would be associated with. No one uses guns in my campaign, so there's no appropriate... Um, proficiency that goes with it. It's just a ranged item, and it's being treated as a magic item. But yeah, it's a it's a heek. Feel free to look that up, guys. You'll be able to find it online. So cool. Yeah, but that's basically what happened. Um, like I said, we ran the full session, but it was uh, uh, eventful. Had a lot of going on, and there wasn't as there wasn't the the thumb twirling. So and that was a good thing. So mm-hmm. yeah. And everybody was engaged, and you know where you're headed next, and and what's yeah, going on there, and all that. Pretty much, it was a, it was a good session that way. Yeah, in fact, we play um, again, not this weekend, but next weekend. So that's when we're going to be playing next too. Yeah, excellent. Cool. Yeah, that's really all I had. I mean, it, it went it went fantastic. The best part though was the was the whole dynamic. And what was funny is that at the time I created that encounter, and this is, I guess, one of those. Uh, uh, what's the word? I don't know what the word I want to use. Um, unpredictable moments occurred. Was I had forgotten that they had this push power. Hmm. So I'm like looking at the stats and it, as the combat's beginning, and I'm like, and I'm realizing where they're located all of a sudden, and how I've set up the scene, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, yeah, they could just push them off the cliff. And why wouldn't they? <laughs> and why wouldn't they? And so that's what you know. And I was like, oh. You know, because when I designed the encounter, I wasn't even thinking that. I was, th- you know, I knew they had this force power or whatever, but I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't thinking in three dimensions, really, is is what it was. Hmm. And um, and and the close proximity and how 
you know, oh, yeah, that's within 30 feet. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so that made a very um, uh, fortuitous uh, um, circumstance, and it made the made the combat a lot more interesting. It was really fun. So, cool. Yeah. Mike, any questions for Randall? Uh, did, was it just the one big combat, the one on the... The one on the cliffside? The there ten- were two. The tentacle. The tentacle. Oh, right, right. The tentacle one. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, I, I like the use of the tentacle ones. I've done that that same thing. And I Did you run them all as independent monsters? Is that how you... Yeah, I used one hit point pool, but independent okay. monsters. Okay. And what I did was I split... I figured out how many hit points um, the monster I had, divided it by 12, because there were 12 tentacles. Right. And so that's how, how many hit points each um, right. Right. tentacle would have. And so when they did that much um, hit point damage to it... Mm-hmm. Any extra was was disregarded. Right. It's oh. just that if they did over, I think each it turned out each tentacle had like forty hit points or something. So when they when they did over four, if they did if for some reason they shot it and it did you know twenty more points of damage than that, those were lost because they just basically killed the tentacle. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, that's how I worked it. I like how you had two different encounters and both of them had something sort of really interesting and dynamic about it. You know the tentacle thing where there were six of them, but every time they dropped one, another one popped up. So yep. they so they didn't know it was just going to keep going forever. Do we need? To, is there something else? Another strategy we need to be trying? And right. the, and then in the uh, the other one where you know the the whole being the threat of being pushed off the cliff, um, both of those sort of added a, a unique and interesting element um, to to an encounter. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I actually you know whenever you can learn some things too and involved in. It's like, oh yeah, you know, maybe think in three dimensions more often. That's not a bad idea. Sure, <laughs> you know, those guys, yeah, they seem like fundamentals, but you know, it's like, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> that and, makes- and sometimes the things that are fundamentals are things that we we you know have been fundamentals for us, and then we forget about them, or they, we lose sight of them, or it becomes instinct for a while, and then slowly that instinct fades, and we stop doing it because we're not thinking about it, and we right. just we just have to be reminded about it sometimes, you know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's cool. All right. Yeah. Well, well that's that. There's Randall. We'll hear more about Randall um, next month, right? Yes, sir. Cool. Hopefully. <laughs> then it's my turn. I uh, accidentally ended up with starting a new campaign. Whoops. What, did you fall down? <laughs> well, Oops. Yeah. Well, uh, you may recall from a previous episode that uh, I just was discussing the end of Gardmore and how it ended, and it didn't exactly end on a win. Mm-hmm. And I'm and and Mike over here mentions, oh well, it'll be a great, it'll be that that'll be great. You can just continue the story on from there. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I didn't really want to do that. And then I told him I was planning on doing a a and D next version of Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil was probably going to be the next big thing I ran. And then we start we kind of came up with the ideas that that could be a sequel to Guardmore. And I sort of mentioned it to my players. Uh, a couple weeks back, and they were actually really excited about it. And it's like, well, I wasn't thinking I'd do it now, <laughs> but nobody else is really g- jumping to the gun to run anything, and we don't have anything else planned for next time. So uh, <laughs> I guess we're starting a new 10-level next campaign. You know, guys, <laughs> have your characters ready, you know? Um, so so here I am. We, we played one session of my new uh, D&D Next Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil campaign, which, dun, dun, dun. which is mostly working. Um, I'm going to have a few areas where I'm going to struggle because of uh, a lack of bestiary stats for certain things. But um, a lot of things I'm, I'm just reskinning easily enough, you know. Oh, there's a bunch of cultists of, of elemental evil over here. Oh, look, there's a dark adept or there's, you know, a cultist of Asmodeus. And I'll, I'll just make it that, you know. Hmm. Um, there's a few things where um, – you know, and I was talking to Mike before the recording. Um, 
like uh, there's a dragon. You know, they meet a young blue dragon at one point. Uh, early on in the adventure, actually, uh, it's a bit of a shocker. It's like, oh, hey, we just started the the, the adventure, and suddenly pfft, a blue dragon. Um, <laughs> but but I, the only dragon we have is like thirteenth and fourteenth levels, uh, and they're all fourth. And it's supposed to be a fourth level encounter, or a fifth level encounter, or something. So I basically How did you? Oh, uh, oh, sorry. I'll uh, hold says, my question. Say, so basically, what I did is I took the fourteenth level version. I dropped a hundred hit points off it. It was 175 hit points. I gave it 75 hit points. Um, I dropped its damage die. It, it does 3d10 plus 7 damage. I dropped it to 1d10 plus 7 damage. Otherwise, it'd just be instant kills. Um, and then I dropped its AC by 2 points. And that's the only thing I did. Those are the only uh, changes I made. And they totally just plowed right through it. I, th- I was telling Mike, I think I could have given them the f- had them fight the 14th level version of the dragon, and they still would have won. Mm-hmm. At fourth level, wow! So that means the monsters are really whack. I think the monsters are a bit whack, and I think Mike and I don't entirely ag- necessarily agree on this, but I think some of it comes comes down as a result of the flattening of the math. Um, and there's some things they can do to mitigate that. Uh, and I think hit points are probably out of whack. I think damage can maybe be tweaked a little bit. Um, but something's crazy, you know. I mean, they just tore this dragon in part. I think he was down in a round and a half. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. So that was that was uh, some of that, right? Um, yeah, and you and I, we don't we we agree on the outcome. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly right. We, we no, don't yes. necessarily agree on the cause. Right, exactly right. Um, so I think, yeah, we we both agree that there's a problem. Yes. Um, we just sort of dis- disagree on why or how to fix it. Yeah. And I think I think honestly, the solution is a little bit of both. I think that the solution is maybe a little bit higher on some defenses, and obviously, hit points uh, need to be hit points and or damage need to be dramatically readjusted. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd yeah. rather adjust the hit points than the damage, honestly, because I don't feel like they're doing wild damage mm-hmm. you know, compared to 4E. I don't know. I think they're doing wild damage. All right. But you've, you've played it a bit more than I have, right? The, at least the, in the current iteration. It's been a long time since, I, since I've played much next. Mm-hmm. And, and so far, my players are loving it. We're, we're really enjoying the game. Uh, we're really enjoying... Uh, um, you know, early on in in the edition, uh, as we were in the alpha, the, the friends and family playtesting and all that, right? Um, we were excited to be part of the playtesting process, but it, we lost interest in the game itself pretty early on because a lot of the elements just weren't quite there yet. The elements that make this game awesome are are coming together now. You know, we're really enjoying a lot of what is is coming together in next. So we're happy with that. Good. That said. There are a few areas where where we are, if not struggling, um, likely to be having some issues in the, or I'm likely to be having some issues and could probably use some help on on the campaign. Um, have either of you played Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil? Mm-mm. Not Return. No. You, you played the original, okay? Yes. Um, yeah, Rand, Randall loves it. Village of Hamlet only. He After that, you, have, you can he wants go to s- have tell Bill Elemental Evil's babies. Well, he, <laughs> yeah. here, here's the thing, Randall. One of my big hookups is Hamlet. Uh, one of hangups the bi- or hookups? Hangups. Oh, why? One of the big Hamlet it, is like perfect. Well, no, no, okay, not the actual oh. module of Village of Hamlet. Hamlet oh, appears oh, oh. in Hamlet appears in this adventure as well, and it's twenty. Oh, right, it's, right, right. it's twenty five years later. Oh, it's see the, Is it a metropolis now? No, no, no. It's oh. it's gone from uh, I think they describe it as going from a uh, hundred people in the village of Hamlet to now having a thousand people in the town of Hamlet. 
Oh man. Okay. So it's like a town now. It's yeah. a town now. Um, and, and a lot of the, the old characters and, and NPCs and things from the original make, make appearances, you know, or, or are important characters. You know, we've got, um, Captain Elmo, head of the militia. Um, who, oh, Elmo made captain. Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, uh, Rufus and Byrne, um, were adventurers from the original, um, right. module who are now the, the, the town elders who actually run the, the town. Okay. You know, so makes and yeah. Ca- Canonis Yade is is around, and she's head of the temple, and you know, so a lot of those characters are still sort of around. Right. Uh, the, the Druid Drew. I don't know if he. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Drew. So he plays it. Yeah. So so all those things are there. All, there's all these little Easter eggs and elements and all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that makes makes Hamlet awesome in this book is it has tons of NPCs. Like you don't just go to the shop. You go to this guy's shop to buy this thing because this is what he carries and here's the price list of exa- everything he has and it's it's really detailed. I made a, a spreadsheet of NPCs. <laughs> and, yeah, it does do that. That's true. <laughs> and so I made I made a spreadsheet of NPCs and there are no less than 70 something entries. Oh god. Right? So wow. so everything is detailed and it's awesome and I really like it as a DM oh. and I've got just sort of enough enough points and, and all that kind of stuff. But you might see where this is going. I've had I have players complaining after the first the first session. I don't know who anybody is and I don't know who's important yeah. and who's not and or, right. or anything, you know, cuz everybody has a name. Well, yeah. And I'm like I made the argument well, that you know, yes. But in the real world, you meet hundreds of people <laughs> and all of them have names and all of them are real people and you treat them certain ways. But you, in your mind, internalize a decision of this is an important person. I'm going to remember their name or this is just right. the waitress at Applebee's and, and it doesn't matter if I remember this person's name or not. Right. right. We, we make those decisions. And, and what, a, what a jerk. <laughs> but you, but hey, make sure the you waitress tip. at Applebee's is nice. Yeah. Tip well. Her name tip was her name was Applebee's, Susan. Please. She has she has brown hair and, and I adore her. But. You gather my point. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Right? And it's, if your players aren't diligent about writing down certain details and things, then then yeah, they forget and they go, "What's this guy again?" Right. No, <laughs> you know? that, that's Play, right. Players who aren't diligent, or as I refer to them as players, all of, are all of them. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> right, and that's not yes, that's not. True. And, and, and and on one hand, I really like that every, you know because it makes the world feel a lot bigger. Like every, things are going on, then things are happening, and it's interesting and it's important. And these aren't just NPCs; these are people. And and should you know be treated as such, even though they may may or may not you know. And some of the characters that they've been introduced to are important, and they don't know it yet. And that's fine. I'm just laying some groundwork, right? Sure. Um, yeah. And some of them are important right now, and some of them are are not necessarily going to be important, but they could be. You know, if we need need a replacement character or something, this this NPC could fit in. Um, and then some of them are just completely unimportant at all, and they just really like messing with them, you know. <laughs> and so I let them, right? <laughs> but I don't, I don't know exactly know how to help them deal with the fact that there's all these characters and they all have names and and. Do they, they all have plot hooks? No, now okay. they all they all have information, right? Um, you know, but like they went to visit. Um, uh, they were looking for for the Druze, the Druid. Uh, they were looking for his assistant. To, right. to question him because Drew's been acting weird. You know, they're, they're looking into all this. Right. Uh, and Drew says he's been acting weird. And so there's this whole he, sh- he said, she said plot going on. And, and they've been asked by Elmo to sort of figure out what's going on. Uh, and so they, they're looking for him and they, they end up going to uh, a Sherm's earth, earthenware, which is this, this gnome guy, right? Right. 
Uh, and so Ashram's got a name, and there's this whole plot, this sort of plot, I guess, in town of, you know, he's the new guy in town, and the old old pottery place is going out of business, and they, they've been here for ages, and people feel bad, but this guy's so much better than her, and all this. So there's, there's a, more than one pottery place? Right, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Holy crap. And so there's this whole, there's, there's whole storyline that's not important at all. Right. So there's not a plot point right. for him there, but there's information that makes it, you know, fleshes him out and, and makes, you know, makes it so, that, you know, the world feels real. Well, welcome to the sandbox. Right. Well, a little bit, right? And I'll get into yeah. that a little bit in a bit, too. It's but. like the Gobi Desert. <laughs> I know. Really? Wow. Okay, but, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, well, and that, I guess that's that's my first issue that I need to deal with. Uh, the first of uh, two, maybe three issues um, that I that I want to bring up tonight is, is how, do I, how do I deal with that? How do I deal with, you know, I don't want to just put a, a little glowing icon over their heads and say, okay, remember these guys, they're important, and don't worry about all those other guys. Um because there is a little bit of a, of a mystery going on. There, there are spies in town, and they don't know it. And they got to figure out who's who's who and what's going on and what have you, right? Um, so I don't want to just hand it to them. And I like the fact that the, that everything is detailed and, and has a history and, and you know all that. That makes everything feel real. But I also don't want them to get lost because I've I've played this adventure as a player before, and I remember that there was so much information and not being able to follow any of it that there were large stretches of the adventure that I just didn't have any idea what was going on. I just w- wait, was waiting for the next encounter to kill stuff. Have the, how are they finding all these people? I mean, you kept the spreadsheet at 90 NPCs, but my guess is they didn't, I mean, they didn't run it all 90. There wasn't a big town meeting. No, no, no. Well, so how did they, although, although, although there kind of was a bit of a town meeting, one of the, <laughs> one it, of, I'm using my spreadsheet. You're meeting every one of these. Guys. No, no, no it, that wasn't it. Uh, it was actually one of the players that did it. Um, they're in the end, the end of the welcome winch. Right. And, yes. and and one of the the players is Which like, is like what? A uh, Hilton at this point, right? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't changed that much. Jeez. 25 years, man. It's like there ought to be like an end of the welcome winch to hey, look. Yeah, whatever. Hey, look. In Star Wars uh Star Wars uh what's the MMO they're doing? Old Republic, right? They still yeah. have a cantina. It's 10,000 years before Star Wars. There's still a cantina <laughs> and they're still playing the same music. <laughs> Dun, 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 right. Dun, dun, dun. So basically, the point. One of the in- yes. all, all these in- all my my PCs are running off to um to investigate what's going on with Drew and his and his assistant. One of the PCs decides he's not interested in that at all. He doesn't he doesn't care about it. He doesn't want to go do it. He's just gonna hang out at the end. And he's like, oh, and he's being a little stingy with his money. And he's like, well, how much is a beer? Oh, a beer is like two copper pieces. Oh, well, I'm gonna buy 100 beers. Drinks are on me. <laughs> <laughs> Right, one hundred beers. So, guess what happens the when air comes by and introduces every member of the city? No, well, yeah. Guess what happens when somebody orders one hundred beers? Everybody in town shows up, you know. <laughs> so, there, so there were a lot of people there, obviously. And I introduced the ones that that helped me deliver information and 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 content and story that I needed. Right. And, and the others, we can always just say, you know, yeah, they're there, but you didn't necessarily meet them, or you, you know, later on if it comes up, it's like, oh yeah, you met this person over over the end, you know, or whatever. Um, but I didn't detail everybody that they met, but, but there were three or four or five characters that did sort of seed in different information and some of it, <laughs> some of it conflicting information. Um, I know exactly what you need to do further on in the campaign. Okay. Why? Every, every inn that they stop at, their reputation has preceded them. <laughs> and, and as soon as they know, as soon as the town knows they've hit town, Everybody shows up. Everyone is at the end expecting a <laughs> hey! hey, that's those guys. They're the beer buyers. <laughs> They're <getting> hammered. <laughs> Party time. That's totally what I would do. 
And that is epic. And now that you've brought that up, I will. Yes, uh, excellent. However, that doesn't help me with my my overloaded no, NPC well, problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, so my my question is like, I mean, are they are the PC are the players driving it all towards like, well, we're really paying attention to these these people? I mean, like, is there an opportunity for natural selection to occur and they focus on three and those are the three you focus on and you just kind of forget about the other ones? Right, and I think I think that's what's what will happen. And I honestly, I think that some of the players are more engaged in interacting with the NPCs and others. Right. But even your, even your, you know, even your players that aren't as engaged can remember, you know, three guys. Yes. And, and I think part of the trouble, um, at least one of them is having is, um, there's just, you know, there's 10 names and he, and they've just been introduced to him and he doesn't know who to keep track of and, and who not to, you know? Right. Right. I'm hoping as they come up more, some of this will just resolve itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Ashurm, the earthenware guy, the gnome, is not important at all, but... but um, It could be. Well, and, and he could be, and, and more to it, uh, one, of the, one of the PCs seems to really like messing with him. Like, he's, mm-hmm. con- he's convinced him that there's, this, there's uh, this other guy in town, the assistant druid uh, in town, is, has become a homicidal maniac and has it out for him. Mm-hmm. You know, even though that, that, that's not remotely true, but, you know, the character, he's playing a halfling uh, a monk whose background is jester. Mm-hmm. So he feels like he just needs to go around and mess with people all the time <laughs> as to, right. to play into his gesture. Sure, sure, it's not funny to anybody but him, but he's having a good time. You know? Right, right. See, I mean, there's. Now, I for, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. I, I was. I've, I've been thinking about this. I've, I forget where I was. I guess I've been thinking a lot about Dungeon World, the game Dungeon World, mm-hmm. and it has this big open, open-ended way that it handles storytelling. And I was kind of thinking about it as like Schrodinger's D and D. Where like you know the only part of the world that exists is the part that the, that the PCs are currently focused on at any given moment, and the minute they, the minute their focus turns away from that whole area, of the world disappears, hmm. you know, and and it never exists until they actually look at it. And I'm wondering like if if you have a town where you know there's 90 NPCs, but if they you know if they just decide like these are the six we're going to care about, you know, and and they get to pick it, like not you don't you don't oh, have yeah, to yeah. choose. But in order for them to pick six that they care about, they have to know about more than six. Well, not necessarily. Or not, they, they know, have to at least they do fireman decisions. They just pick the first one, and that's the guy they focus on. Yeah. Well, and that's and then there's a little bit of that going on too. And I think honestly, I think most of them will figure it out okay. But well, here's here was was my suggestion, and that's that first any of the subplots that you don't care about, drop them. Second, dis you like spreadsheets. <laughs> I don't like them, but I thought yeah. it would be helpful. Dis disconnect the rumors and stuff from the NPCs. And so, uh, and when you, when I say disconnect, what I mean is that don't let it matter which NPCs given the rumor. Sure. Just give the rumor. And so it doesn't matter who they're talking to. It may be the same guy that has multiple rumors, but just disconnect those two things that might help. And then also Mm -hmm. don't name unless they ask the ones that aren't important. Mm -hmm. So if it's like stable, if it's like studly stable boy, and he doesn't have anything to do with the plot, then don't name him. The stable, boy, just the, the stable boys do have names, both of them. Well, that's fine, but don't. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> no, name right. them. No, 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 no one no. cares. And that's and fair. So, yeah, and, and don't name them. And that might eliminate some of the the, the mess. Sure. But I think the biggest thing you can maybe do is, is disconnect, unless that NPC has a specific role in a plot or yeah. and there's quest a, there's later some on. Of that. Right? Yeah, there, and there is, know. but yeah. Because I want to know what happens when you crawl through 3,000 rooms of dungeons coming up. 
Yeah, that's it, what I want to know. It's about coming. Too. It's coming. Well, oh. and that and that and that actually takes me to to the other thing that I that and and, and based on reviews I've seen of the product, um, this is playing out as being fairly true. In that the the dungeons are really that di- dynamic. The story is really interesting. The hooks are really weak. Mm. Um, and so it, it is a Let's little it is a little bit of pulling teeth to get them where they need to go because it's it's not entirely sandbox like in in the village of hamlet there are essentially four or five things that they can they can look into and do two of which are essential um but they basically i mean eventually they have to do those two you know right. um and, and so you know there's the the hook I sort of used was Elmo came to them and said, "Hey, there's something weird going on." Um, Drew says that his assistant is acting odd. Can you look into it? Well, Drew and Elmo are good friends, and it, and my don't don't doubt that my players just adore the fact that the captain's name is Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, right? And they make the voice too. And it's also been pointed out that yes, but this Elmo actually came first. But you know, whatever, it doesn't matter now. Um, this it, is cool. Did you know Temp- Return to Temple of Elmo and Evil is available on D and D Classics? Is it excellent? Yeah. We'll have to make well, sure to, to mention well that bucks. people can can shop there later yep. and uh, yep. buy it using your link. You bet. So, uh, but yeah, so Elmo asked them to to look into Yundi is his name, the assistant druid, because uh, mm-hmm. Drew says he's acting funny. They go find Yundi. Yundi says, "Well, actually, it's Drew who's acting funny, not not me." Uh, he <laughs> he went off and off and, did, and so it's them figuring out what's going on, and they figured out that something weird is with is going on with Drew. And and their big clue is that his animal companion, a bear, left. Just oh, a cu- I remember this. A couple, yes. of, a couple of weeks ago, the bear just left, and nobody can figure out why or what's going on. And so they actually, um, through a, a critical skill roll, found some tracks at the edge of the grove and followed it and found the bear. Um, oh, no. Was he dead? Uh, the, the, the bear's alive. Oh, okay. Um, spoiler alert. Drew is dead. Jeru <laughs> oh. has been dead for about two weeks and has been replaced by a doppelganger working for the Temple of Elemental Evil. Bam. Right? Uh, and so but Elmo doesn't see it because, you know, the doppelganger... Elmo's not that bright. Well, and and, and, and <laughs> Jeru is his good friend, so of course he just trusts Jeru. Right. Uh, and so... Um, this this led them to figuring out that, well, there's something weird going on with Jeru, but we have no other no other leads other than just directly confronting him, and, and what would that serve, you know? Um, right. And so they sort of wandered out to the moat house because, you know, Yundi told him, well, Drew started acting weird after he was out collecting herbs near the moat house. And, and you know, they had heard some other rumors about it being haunted or whatever. And so they finally decided to go out to the moat house. And, and that's where you really – I mean that's where you're supposed to start the adventure. Right. But I thought where we were going to end up starting based on where they were going and what they were investigating was them uncovering the spies in town, which can also then lead them to the moat house and then off to the next thing. Um, so the oh, order, your time's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that. So the order doesn't necessarily matter, but but I'm a little worried about the hooks not being as strong as I need them to be. Uh, I'm really trying to massage them and work on them, but there were there were multiple times during the first session where they were like, okay, well, we don't know what to do next, and we've been playing for two hours and haven't fought anything. <laughs> you know, I've I've got one simple phrase that will fix that. Uh huh. Mysterious explosions over X. <laughs> so just blow no, stuff up. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm saying. Maybe it's a magical experiment gone awry. Maybe it's just shenanigans, mm-hmm. but something, you know, you see a bright light and fireworks going on over off some area location where adventure is supposed to take place. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty direct way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's um, not. Sorry, guy. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's not um, complicated, but it will certainly get them going. Ooh, pretty lights. Let's go see what that's about. Mm-hmm. 
the uh not to not to bring up my my hero uh Stephen King uh when he was writing the stand he realized about halfway I think he was 4 or 500 pages in to writing it and he took the whole thing and he threw it in the trash no no I'm sorry that was Carrie but he he took this whole thing and he's like I'm done I don't know what the hell I'm going to do I've got like 17 characters and I don't know where they're all going and they've all got plots and I have no idea where the hell this thing's going to go and he went for a walk and during the walk he's like I'm just going to have to blow them up so in the middle of the book, he blows up like, you know, three fourths of the main heroes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just picks four and does the whole rest of the book about four. You know, so you could do the same thing with the village. You could have it just blow up. And then there, goes, <laughs> there goes your 90 NPCs. Well, you got like 12 guys left. And, and the thing is, that. is that the village of Hamlet is actually only an introduction. Right. Um, you know, they eventually end up in a completely different town dealing with a completely different temple. Nob. Uh, th- th- that is, is it no, nob? no, it's not Nob. No, because no, oh. the, they never actually, well, the main arc of their story is not actually dealing with the, that temple. There's a there's a different temple in another part of the region called the temple of oh. all, the temple of all consumption, where they spend most of their time. Oh, see, I, I guess I didn't know that, but I haven't played this one, so right, yeah. Right. So yeah, and so yeah, and so um, yeah. I mean, I, and I guess I can I can maybe even leverage a little bit of both of them together, right? We're having trouble with with all these NPCs, but maybe I can use those NPCs to layer in more hints about where to go and what what's going on. Yep. Um, but but the moat house specifically is very tricky because there are specific spies for the 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 cult in town whose job it is is to dissuade people from going to the moat hmm. or the moat house, right? So a bunch of NPCs are saying, "Oh yeah, there's something weird going out of, out of the moat house," and then this other one guy comes up and says, "Yeah, no, I was just there the other day. It's empty." Oh well, then I guess we won't go there. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, now well, it depends on how you play that, though, and how bright your your players are. Because you could play that in such a way it was like every single time that they bring up the moat house, some guy is always standing there, and he goes, Psh, "Whatever, that's just lies. Whatever." You know, and you do it in an exaggerated way so that the players themselves know that. Oh well, wait a minute, he's got to be lying, right? Well, so in, in, in he's acting like it. In fairness, I guess it it kind of worked out, right? I mean, they got to a point where they weren't sure what to do anymore, so they went to check out the only thing that they could think of, and right. which is exactly where I needed them to go. Well, that's helpful, um, you know. And so, and, and now that one guy who's always denying that there's anything going on at the moat house, well, they know for a fact that he's full of it, right? Because right. they've been to the moat house and they've yeah. seen all the activity going on, and the dragon, and you know everything yeah. else. It's cleared out now. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you mean <laughs> yeah. you were there two days ago? There's been a dragon eating that guy over there for a week, you know. So. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I think maybe there, maybe maybe my concern is is lightening itself up. Um, I do. I, I'll be curious to see how we make we make the transition to the other temple um, because there's basically one clue that's not like a bang him over the head, really obvious clue that leads them to that place. So hmm. we'll see what happens. Cool. Very good. All right, and next time I'll probably want to talk about making the dungeons more dynamic, but I think I'm out of time today. Yeah, my alarm went off. A while ago. Yep. So, Mike, it's all up to you. Go. All right. Uh, I have about two... I think I have one session left in my uh, Lazar Principalities um, Eberron D&D Next mini campaign that I've been running. It's a one to seven campaign. Most recently, the party has uh, gone through the uh, uh, Slave Pits of Undercity, which is an old Dakani ruin that has been taken over by slavers and they were crawling through to go face this strange masked slave lord that, that has uh, been running this operation. 
Um, they spent the last three sessions crawling through, maybe four sessions crawling through the the dungeon. They, you know, going through How all the like fun the stuff. Aspis? How did they like the Aspis? I think I so I changed a lot of the stuff. Um, were, were the Aspis? Were they like the ant people? Yeah. So they actually convinced the ant people that they were a um, safety survey group. <laughs> and Sorry, that they that's were hilarious. Yeah, and they were like <laughs> making sure that um, all the tunnels were, you know, compliant for, uh, you know, safety reasons, <laughs> and that fire exits were there. And the and the ants were so confused that they just let him go past. Like, okay, you know, that's that was a very well played charisma role. <laughs> um, you know, I think they rolled like a 24 on their charisma check and they asked me like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, yeah, we're hired by the slave force to make sure that your tunnels down here are okay. So you didn't um, have a language barrier there. Uh, no, I, cause I, they had to speak common cause they, the, the ant people communicated with the slave lords. So okay. the ant people were, were, were kind of, you know, they, they understood at least they couldn't really speak it. <laughs> That's um, pretty funny. So I built out the entire, I was running kind of a control, a control group you know, test on lazy dungeon master practices uh, by running most of it lazy until the final level, which was kind of the main level of the of the dungeon, which I did in Dwarven Forge. And I, I, I you know, placed it all out across my entire table. So it was three nights worth of adventures uh, all in Dwarven Forge. And yes. they only they only didn't crawl one room. And to my great dismay, they said they really enjoyed the Dwarven Forge one and they missed it. So that, that made me sad because I was hoping I'd never have to do it again. Um, they so in the last in the in the last adventure they um, made it to the basement. They found an NPC that they'd been hunting, and they had the problem that the player who had the quest to rescue his captain wasn't there the night they rescued his captain. Oh. Um, but that, that that actually gets into the email that we received does, this yeah. week. So we'll talk more about that. But I just said, hey, that that's you know. That's how it works out. And um, so they fought a bunch of stuff, and then they faced off against the Slave Lord. The Slave Lord uh, turned out to be a former member of the Dire Sharks, which is one of the three seafaring principality types. And they, you know, they, they saw early on that he had the tattoo removed where he had been a former Dire Shark, and he was kind of this older guy. He took, off, he took his mask off because it's hard to breathe in that mask. And um, he immediately drank three potions, which made him... Uh, the equivalent of a fire giant in in combat, and then the cleric kind of tilts his head to one side and says, "I'm going to cast a spell magic on him," and dispelled two of the three potions that he drank. <laughs> so that you know, and I just kind of winged the statistics. I just said I'll give him less hit points. So like he'll get rid of the stone skin potion that he drank, and now he's just you know, now he's just got uh, uh, some extra hit points, or now he's just got the giant strength. Yeah, um, and the party. In the final battle, the party managed to mitigate almost all of the damage that they took. So um, I had the the wizard cast Blink and got the Blink roll over and over again. So uh, she was out of combat except when she was casting spells. The cleric and my wife's doing a dance for you know, <laughs> the fact that they were successful. Um, my wife's fighter used parry every round, which... Um, I think it's an, an average of 14 damage off of any hit that she gets hit by. It's 46 on a parry roll. Mm -hmm. The um, barbarian uh, was raging the entire battle, and therefore all of the attacks were half damage. And the cleric was casting sanctuary every round to make sure that whatever 
you know, whatever the toughest guy was fighting would suddenly have to roll a saving throw in order to hit the guy had already been hitting. So the cleric was really able to kind of steer everyone's attack towards the towards the right area. So that, you know, it, it, I mean, at the point where uh, my, my biggest guys are getting mocked openly by the players, I, I, I think I'm not challenging them quite as much as I would have liked. Um, and that, that makes me sad, but I'm hoping that that gets cleared up as we do the playtest. Uh, so they beat, they beat the uh, Slave Lord, who then drops down and then laughs at them and pulls a note out. And they read the note, and the note says that he has full immunity for any criminal activities that's signed by the prince who sent the party to go find them in the first place (laughs) and you know it wasn't actually the prince who sent them it was the prince's number one guy who sent them who is very much an anti-slavery kind of guy so they're trying to figure out like well who who's good and who isn't so their next adventure they're going to go back to they got a bit they got the slave the slaver's boat um they've you know it's now crewed by ex sailors you know ex slave former sailors uh, from three different principalities that now are on the, on the ship. And uh, they're going to sail it back to Port Verge and they're going to confront what goes on there. So um, I've got, you know, I'm going to do a lot of like, okay. Oh, and the other, the other fun thing that happened is they, they walk outside after kind of defeating the slave lords and there's this huge rumble. And then two giant uh, Eberron airships come roaring overhead, which is the airships of the house that they, um, made it that they made a deal with to get a uh, partial share in a large uh, dragon shard mining operation on the Isle so, of Dread. On the Isle of Dread. Yeah. So they've had all of these little like conversations that have been taking place, and all of these deals that you know kind of you know deals through this like you know this communication magic that they've had, but they haven't actually seen anything come from that. And now they see this just you know, I mean, who knows how much money it costs to send these two giant you know airships over but now they're like wow okay this is serious now and the only part that i didn't really get to play up which i kind of wanted to and i probably will in a uh um i probably will in a uh uh between a between game email is the the ecological effect of having you know the dragon marked houses (laughs) suddenly show up in the isle of dread um you know that's going to wreck the ecology so i'm going to you know, there's got to be a consequence for the fact that they're about to totally uh, mine a once, you know, once untouched area. You need to introduce a new um, a new house that's like Greenpeace. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's awesome. a lot of there's a lot of natives that are there and the natives aren't really going to be happy. Actually, I think the short yeah. story is going to be from the point of view of one of the native tribes that the uh, that the PCs had interacted with. Is it going to is going to end with one of them standing in front of a a, a Waste, yeah, waste yard with a, and tier. With a single tier rolling down. Single tier rolling down. Yeah. Um, no. So um, <laughs> the uh, uh, so the next one is them going to Port Verge, and I, I'm I'm going back to lazy DM style. I'm I'm not you know I don't really have any idea what the hell they're going to find in Port Verge. Um, I'm going to sit down and kind of say like, okay, here are the major NPCs, and here are the major things that have gone on while they've been gone, and who knows what you know because they they contacted like former contacts back in the city through their strange communication magics and uh, so some people know but it's like who knows and who doesn't know and you know what what really is going on and somehow i'm going to try to wrap it all up in one session i have a feeling it might end up being two it would not surprise me if it ends up being two sessions yeah, and although, uh, although things can move quick in next yeah it can um so we'll see i try, uh, I try I to move my, on 
Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, my group went through two hours of investigation, and then when they finally got to the dungeon, they fought six or seven encounters in, like, two hours. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, I mean, we fought three encounters in about an hour and a half. Um, now, now the other thing, though, is my group can spend 45 minutes figuring out how to secure a room so they can rest for the night. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to judge. And because I, because I'm letting them kind of go anywhere they want, it would not surprise me if, if, you know, we don't get everything cleanly wrapped up in one session, but we'll see. I'm going to, I'm hoping so. Um, and then after that, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. So after that, um, we're, I've been kind of running ideas past the group on what we want to do next. And I think we, we kind of had four ideas, like a high level D and D next game, a, uh, four going back to four E for Neverwinter and under mountain, uh, running a Pathfinder mini campaign or doing Dungeon World, and right now we're leaning towards doing like one or one, two or three sessions of Dungeon World, and then going to then running a, a mini campaign for Pathfinder while the playtest gets a little bit more filled out, and then going back to the playtest probably summer. So we'll see. Right on. I will support all of those ideas. Yeah, are, I mean, you, I'm I'm happy to do any of them. Yeah, I mean, are I, you not going to go on to the rest of the Slaver series? Probably not. Um, now, I've already hinted at the other Slaver series by saying that one of the things they found was a map, and on the map were, like, you know, X's, and one of the X's was at the Slaver compound that they're at now, and the other three are the other three Slave Lord complexes. Mm-hmm. And they also, the, the wizard found a crystal ball that the Slave Lord guy had been using to communicate to the other Slave Lords, and she put her hands on it, and she kind of disappeared and or in her mind, she appeared at this strange kind of council area, and the three other slave lords in their masks are standing there staring at her, said, now we know who it is that killed our comrade, and then they all disappear. So now the slave lords are hunting down the party, and the party can go after the other slave lords. There's tons of options for them to go, and I don't know if we'll ever do any of them. Sure. But I, I always love ending mini campaigns with lots of, you know, lots of imagination and lots of options to go, so then people can kind of dream where they dream well, where they end up and you can always come back to it in you know the summer yes, when exactly. you get back to it you know right right of course i have like five other campaigns that we could go back to you know like sure. <laughs> i mean in my dark sun campaign two years ago they ended with nibine like you know getting pissed off at them <laughs> and like that that never went back so yeah you're one of those people that doesn't mind if a if a tv series never gets a conclusion huh no i actually prefer if it doesn't like i i wish battlestar galactica ended it halfway through see i need closure oh god i need my stories to have an end they, yeah, they don't kind of do too. Even they don't have an end. A bunch end. of suits force an end. No, well, I, but in, in my D and D stories too, I need an end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like to have it. Um, so, so I do have a question though for the group. Um, right. I am going to be running a Dungeon World single shot adventure at the DC Game Day convention that we have here in town, and um, I'm looking for a good sandboxy sort of classic D&D adventure that I could use as a as a core for uh this thing and you know Village of Hamlet came to mind but I might end up using Village of Hamlet as my dungeon world game for my core group so I don't know if I'm going to use it for the one shot well wouldn't that be the perfect opportunity to try it out though it it may be except my wife will be in both and I don't know if she's going to want to do it I don't know if she'll be in both we're not sure, but you know I don't know if I want to run it twice so I I wanted to see if there's any other adventures that people uh Mm had in mind that were kind of good you know i i, I kind of want like a small town where they could start with like a good hook for a dungeon delve or haunted house or something like that and with the D classics modules out you know i think there's a lot of options i just don't know which ones would be good and i wanted your your guys's advice on what you think would might be a good one for one shot i guess the 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 sort of standard 
old one shot that I've run over and over and over again that I don't know is available on on D&D Classics yet is called uh, The Haunted Halls of Evening Star. It's a hmm. it's a first or second level um, Forgotten Realms adventure, mm-hmm. but it's it's a small town and and there's you know a nearby dungeon and some weird things are going on there and they get to go investigate and and whatever and so you know that that could be a, a setup to at least as a as a framework to get started with, um, but again I don't know that if it's available or not. Right now, but I don't think I've seen it. No, they don't have it. Hmm. Randall, do you have any thoughts? On, as far as um, like what would what would be a good classic adventure to run for a one shot? For a one shot, um, I was gonna say Village of Hamlet, but no, um, which I love. I could run Village of Hamlet over and over again. I just love that module. Um, yeah, I ended up doing it. Like I was looking at In Search of the Unknown, but it seems to be mostly a dungeon delve. It's basically, and it's not that great a one anyway. At least I didn't think so. You do the the nice thing about that one is that you you choose from a roster of treasures and monsters and you fill the and you fill the rooms yourself. Yeah, so that's actually fits Dungeon World very well. Is that how that works? Because I don't know anything at all really about mm-hmm. Dungeon World. I kind of want to play it just to see what it's like, but I have never done that. So, it's um, a version to read the book because it really has a lot of interesting ideas about how to DM, and they 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 fit very much the DM the lazy DM style. You one works pretty well as a one shot. Which one's that one? You don't. That's the um, uh, Sinister Secret Assault Marsh. Ah, uh, yes, I have. I bought that one. I bought that, that one's actually. I mean, you can go and play the other two, uh, but it, it it'll stand alone. That first one will, and it's it's pretty nice. And it's got a very a variety of different things. You start off with a kind of Scooby Doo haunted house thing, right? And then it goes in. Spoiler alert! So turn down your radio here or iPod. Um, the other one is then it goes into like sort of like a smuggler. Uh, and a pirate thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a kind of a mix of, of different things going on that you got a couple of decent bad guys uh, that are level appropriate, of course. But, um, uh, and if you have a mage in the group, there's a really big boon um, in the basement of the dungeon for them. So it's really, it, I like it. It's a, it's a good, it's a good module. Um, yeah, you know, it, occur, it occurs to me yeah. that even um, uh, Undermountain, could be a one shot as well. I mean, the thing about Undermount is that it's so big and sprawling, but but at the same time, so you, I mean, you could spend session after session after session there, but at the same time, you could very easily do we're going in, we're doing one thing, and we're getting out, and and that's that's our adventure into Undermountain, you know. Right. Yeah, you could even yeah, you could portion it off and just say you know you have this section to mess with. Yeah, right. Or um, I mean, it's a it's a good sandbox too. I mean, they could just say you have the whole thing to, to mess with. Where do you go and do your thing for a one one session? The uh, um, in that sits on top of Undermountain, the Yawning Portal, Portal. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, because I because I kind of want to I want to you know Dungeon World. You don't want to set up a whole lot. You kind of want things to grow organically. And I'd like to have kind of that my same kind of rule of three style where, you know, three kind of NPCs that they can get involved with, three potential directions they could go. And each one would, you know, generally, you know, I don't know, sort of three different things that could occur. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I just, you know, I wondered if there was any kind of good classic adventures that make for fantastic one shots. I could also just grab one of the other Slave Lord modules and run that. Mm-hmm. All those. Yeah, because those all have, you know. Now the the last one in the Dungeons of the Slave Lords mm-hmm. is actually, I think it's one of the best ones of the series, if not the best one, because you actually start off with nothing. 
start captured, right? You start, yeah, well, yeah, and you're basically thrown into a in, into the Underdark, if you will. It's not really the Underdark, but it's it's cavernous area. And you're thrown into a corner of a cave, and you have, like, a sackcloth shirt and, like, a bone <laughs> dagger or something. And that's it. Yeah. And um, the mages don't have their spell books. The clerics don't have... Um, yeah. Yeah, and so they have to go and use the resources, and and sometimes that means actually making friends if they can with some of the denizens of the cavernous area until they finally escape to the surface where they can get their stuff and then make the final assault. You know, right? Um, and so that's mm-hmm. it's an interesting and it's nice. You know, it's different if your players don't mind that whole um, oh crap we don't have any of our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, bit you know you don't want to do that to players all the time but if they're not used to it then it might be a nice change of pace right so hmm. well, and much more different and much more impactful i think in dnd next than it would be in 4e because 4e you just assume powers work there's not really a whole lot that they need to work and um but dnd next is a little more you know there are some requirements you got to really have certain stuff if you want to do certain things so well, he's, he's you're talking about running dungeon world though right yeah, I'm going to be running it with Dungeon World as the core. Oh, 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 okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. Misunderstood. I, okay, yeah. It's like a, a good seed and a good baseline. Right. But, but I've got, you've got some ideas to start thinking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have to write it up tomorrow, which is a hard part. <laughs> well, all right, get on it. Tomorrow is <laughs> going to be whatever it is. So. All right, so we've got three minutes before we hit the hour mark. Do we have time to uh, talk about Joe's email? We'll make time. All right. Uh, I'm going to read the first couple of things, and then we'll summarize from there, because he did write, uh, as I copied and pasted it into Word, two pages. Um, So it starts off, Hey, guys, your content continues to be top-notch on Behind the DM screen, and I love hearing about the various stories you're running. Oh, never mind. That that was short. I guess we're done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So he says, if you have a spare moment on some future show, I wondered if you could talk about plots centered on characters who leave your game and how you should deal with those plots. I normally work a lot of uh, a lot with my players ahead of time with their backstories and like to build big plots around character backstories. Uh, but when those players go away, I've got a whole lot of plot and nobody to use it on. And then he goes into a lot of details with uh, a specific instance where he's dealing with his campaign um, and, and this mystery behind the Warforged. And then he had a character that came in that, that was a wizard and doing sort of a uh, a big bunch of research on the Warforged. And, and so he tied in all these plots with him and all that kind of stuff. And then the character left, the player left. Uh, and he's sort of figuring, trying to figure out, you know, what do I do? Do I drop the plot because nobody else is really interested in it or do I, you know, do I use all this plot that I've sort of started seeding into the, into the adventure and into the game and into the story and all that uh, you know, so how do you, sort of, how do you sort of handle that? Uh, thoughts? Go. Um, my first thought. Um, save a bunch of the plot stuff and then write your fan fiction novel because that's what you're trying to do. <laughs> and, which is great. I mean, that's awesome, but it, it's way too much for what you're trying to do in the campaign. Trim it down. Um, pick the one element that you like the most and, and run with it, but all the rest of the stuff, let it go. And um, for one thing, it's not fair to the other players if you've got one player dominating so much of the, the of the plot stuff that's going on. Well, and, 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 and to be fair, though, I get the impression that he's doing this kind of stuff, or, or at least he tries to do this kind of stuff with, with all of his players. So they all have their own little plots and stories going on. 
So I, I, we, I don't want to make it seem like he, you know, this one story is dominating. This is the story he focuses on in the email because this is the character who left. And he's trying to figure out what to do with this specific plot. Right. I, you know, I, again, I, I, trim it way down. too much. Yeah, trim it down. Yeah. And write that novel because it sounds like it might be a good one. <laughs> the <laughs> My, story was interesting. I thought the story that he's outlined there was really interesting, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, would make a great read, but probably too much for a game. Mike, what do you think? I mean, I, I agree with Randall. Um, I think that it's, you know, the, the the problem is when you engineer something that's that kind of deep and that thick, even if you're doing it with the best intentions and with the full, you know, participation by your players up front, there's a there's a reality that kicks in when people's lives come up. My my groups are, you know, my, my players are in and out of my games all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got, I think, eight regular players and about five show up at any given time. So I, I never have much of an opportunity. I mean, like I said, I had a guy who didn't even show up for the one major plot point he had. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. And, I, you know, my feeling is that if you're going to engineer it that much, you have to be able to let it go when it doesn't work out. Right. Um, the other thing is you, you, you can kind of hang on to him with a loose grip and you can kind of just keep the plot lines in the back. And then they might find their way to the forefront again, and then you can kind of use them as they come up. But I think being flexible and letting the players kind of drive the direction of where things go, you're putting some structure in or at least helping them build some structure on what they're what they're going to do, but not get too tied into like we got to have this guy doing this one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more just letting the story grow naturally from what happens at the game, which, again, makes it much easier if you don't have to plot some, you know, if you don't have to plan it all out ahead of time so much. Sure. Now, I'm going to be slightly contrarian because that's my role. Um, because I don't mind, at least in my stories, I don't mind a little bit of complexity. As we discussed, right, you're running Hamlet with 75 different NPCs, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't mind a little bit of that and layering some of that in. You know, a lot of the, the things that he detailed in his email – aren't things that are actually happening or, you know, or it's, you know, this, it's not the actual mystery. It's, you know, the Warforged are, are here and it's this mystery why they're here and what they are and what's going on. And then he sort of details, this is what this group thinks is going on. This is what this group thinks is going on. And so it's all these little side things that may or may not have anything to do with the truth. Right. Uh, and I don't mind some of that. That said, if that character is gone and there's not a, a driving character toward, toward taking the party towards that story, then yeah, maybe some of those plots become background. You know, uh, I wouldn't say they just stop, and I certainly wouldn't end that plot at, completely. Um, I would say, you know, if there's this mystery behind the Warforged and the, the characters aren't interested in it, that's fine. But the world continues to turn without them, right? You know, and eventually, they might find that this has become a thing and they're interested in it. You know, and they might come back to it. So I wouldn't completely drop it. I would just t- turn it into the background until they decide, or if you know, if they decide that they're suddenly interested in it again, right? You know, leave it there. You've done. You've laid a lot of groundwork. Maybe it'll come up. Maybe it won't. Right. Right. I agree with that. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. Um, uh, make, make sure if you want to support the show, you head over to thetomeshow.com and you use the Amazon links and the links to D&D Classics there. Uh, the show gets a, a percentage of anything, any shopping you do after you follow our links uh, through Amazon or through D&D Classics, buying your, your classic PDFs. Um, so and yeah. then maybe Jeff will actually buy me a t-shirt and then maybe I will buy <laughs> Randall a t-shirt yay and you know Mike's maybe someday too I have a t-shirt <laughs> I know you, you bought your in fact I think you bought a t-shirt before I did bought my t-shirt <laughs> alright everybody say goodbye bye goodbye. bye <laughs>